What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Cole, AJ, what is going on, gentlemen? Nothing much. We got the whole crew. Got the whole Yo. crew. We even got Zoe. You yes. can't see Zoe. But we're watching my wife's uh, new French bulldog, and uh, AJ's holding her, and just, she weighs like three pounds, so Mike, she's uh, in, in the jacket. Mike has a lot of animals in his house. He always has, but I think this is the first guest appearance we've yeah. had of any of the animals <laughs> yeah. uh, on the podcast. She's she's quite small still, but see this, or she's going to be crying downstairs. My wife's still at work. <laughs> so, this is so y'all don't have to hear, at least this dog bark. There could be other dogs barking. Yeah, the other as, two as downstairs will probably bark, but that's all right. You know, we've never had a comment about that. Though the dogs have barked on so many episodes. So many episodes. I would say 100 out of 176. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Easily. Now people are going to listen for it. Yeah. And it's gonna be it happens noxious. more often than our phones going off, which also happens a lot. It's true. Yeah. No, not a lot of professionalism that happens <laughs> around here, really. We really, as much as effort as we put into this. I silence it at least half the time. And then I, what ends up, ends up happening is I keep, keep it on vibrate, so it yeah. still makes noise. You still hear the yeah, buzz. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. We tried. But, uh, yeah, so we are going to do a topic that we're... Like 95% sure we have not covered since 2018. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, not a whole lot of changes, but uh, we're going to cover dry eye disease because there is a new drug that came out in October 2021 mm-hmm. that, uh, well, it's new formulation, new indication, not, not a new drug. That's a good point. Yeah, well, not a novel drug, but no. a new drug for this class. In, in a weird indication that I definitely, we were all just kind of talking beforehand, uh, not quite sure how they came up with this, but seems to be effective. So Good cliffhanger. Yeah. We're not even going to tell you what it is because we're going to like you listen to the you end of the episode. You have to listen to the whole the thing. The whole episode. Don't you even fast forward. <laughs> so what are we talking about, Cole? Yeah. So dry eye disease. There is uh, medical uh, terminology to describe it, which would be keratoconjunctivitis uh, sica, right? Um, before we get into some of the signs and symptoms and whatnot, we'll just give you some risk factors and a little bit of a pathophysiology overview. Um, there are some risk factors for having dry eye disease, uh, advanced age, uh, female gender, hormonal changes, uh, primarily due to decreased androgens. Systemic diseases like diabetes and Parkinson's, wearing contact lenses puts you at increased risk for dry eye, um, and a few other things. Depending on what the weather's like where you live, a low humidity environment would put you at higher risk. Um, sur- surgeries and procedures, um, especially a corneal refractive surgery, um, decreased corneal sens- sensation, ocular medications um, is very common. So especially ocular medications that contain preservatives and then also systemic medications like antihistamines, anticholinergics, um, certain estrogens and SSRIs can all cause dry eye as well. So when we're thinking about from a pathophysiology standpoint, you know, it usually is kind of revolving around two different sort of pathways. It's either just an overall decrease in the actual tear production, or it's it's kind of centered around increased in evaporation loss. So you basically have an excessive water loss from the, the ocular surface. So when we're thinking about decreased tear production, you know, the a healthy tear film is really kind of relying on this sort of lacrimal functional unit that makes up of the lacrimal gland, the eyelids, and the ocular surface. And so together they have to function as this unit. And if any of them kind of have any sort of dysfunction, uh, the, you know, the actual lacrimal functional unit starts to, you know, kind of 
implode, if you will. That's really probably an excessive term for that, but um, it starts to form this just excessive, like chronic dry eye situation. Um, and it can be from a few different things that kind of leads to this. Um, one kind of major thing to consider is Sjogren's syndrome, um, which is an autoimmune disorder in, in which there is this inflammatory infiltration of the lacrimal gland itself. And that's going to basically lead to cell death of that, um, the gland, the cells make up that gland and then basically leading to tear hyposecretion. Now with uh, Sjogren's syndrome, you're typically going to see other kind of systemic effects of this as well. So a lot of times you'll have like um, dry mouth as well. Um, and there's other signs of inflammation and more uh, almost like um, a rheumatoid type situation in some cases. So, you know, we'll get to that when we talk about some of the treatments. But, um, you know, from a non Sjogren's syndrome aspect, it can also just be kind of a deficit of aqueous tear um, production. So dry eyes involving lacrimal dysfunction itself. Um, and that can be, you know, just kind of localized without having any sort of like systemic findings or anything like that. Um, when it comes to increased evaporation loss, you know, we have this excessive water loss from the ocular surface, uh, and then we don't really necessarily have any lacrimal dysfunction, um, but the, uh, it still can lead to this, this tear film instability because you're having this excessive water loss without, um, kind of like bringing, you know, the, the, in replenishing the tears on this, on the ocular surface. And so it ends up causing this, um, cycle of tear hyperosmolarity and lacrimal function unit inflammation. It's uh, basically leads to eventually uh, this vicious cycle that um, ends up with, again, decreased tear production. Um, and that can also stem from like structural abnormalities of the eyelid position or, um, you know, actually centered around like the blink function um, of the eye itself. And uh, all these things can kind of increase evaporation of the tear film and um, lead to, uh, you know, that again a chronic dry eye situation yeah and um there are actually a couple different terms for it as well dry eye syndrome would be the same and also keratitis seca would be another shorter easier way to say the the medical term all those you may see and that all just means uh, dry eye disease yeah um so there's some common complaints uh this is how you're going to identify it of course there's going to be dryness in the eyes but also um, red eyes general irritation a gritty sensation, which I, I hate it when I have a gritty sensation in my eye. Burning sensation, um, a feeling of a foreign body, excessive tearing, light sensitivity, uh, and blurred vision as well. All of these would be complaints that the patient has. It's very uncomfortable, um, so we're going to look for ways that we can mitigate those. And, and I think kind of a, a big takeaway, too, is making sure that you sort of establish, you know, a patient history, you know, finding out how long, because all of us have had you know, dry eyes or, or red eyes from, you know, staying up too late or working on a computer too long, you know, studying, you know, pharmacotherapy for too long. Or staring at a, a box fan for 10 minutes without blinking. <laughs> or um, right. or blinking contests when you're at a restaurant with your brother. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. All good examples, Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sticking your head out the window going over 60 miles an hour. Yeah. Not blinking. <laughs> if you're going 57, you're fine. But 60? Yeah. Done. Mm-hmm. So getting a history of, you know, in, in kind of like a, a progression of the patient's symptoms then in kind of their sort of historical recap of, of, you know, what led to them actually seeking treatment. Uh, and then we also want to establish sort of like a baseline of the, you know, and come up with a way of quantifying the symptom severity, if you will. So 
just like we have with a lot of our behavioral health disease states, um, we have questionnaires that we can utilize uh, in this setting too. So we have like the Ocular Surface Disease Index, the OSDI, um, which is basically just a 12-item questionnaire um, that's going to help evaluate someone with dry eye disease. And it can be really useful when it comes to monitoring um, the response to therapy after it's been started um, for patients that have more severe symptoms at baseline and seeing how they improve over time and, and how well the therapy is using. And it gives, other than just saying, yeah, I feel better, you know, man, it's not that much better. At least this gives you a way of kind of at least sort of quantifying it with a numerical value. And uh, we also have things like the dry eye questionnaire um, or the DEQ5, which is a abbreviated like five item questionnaire to determine the dry eye disease symptom severity. Um, there's the Salisbury Eye Evaluation Questionnaire. There's several others, um, and so just, you know, depending on what clinic you're working for, um, they may use different tools. You may use multiple tools. It kind of just depends, but it's, again, a way of sort of establishing a baseline uh, and then having some way of tracking the improvement or, uh, or lack thereof over time. Yeah, I like these uh, questionnaires. You don't want to ever get too attached to a questionnaire, but it can definitely help guide you. What do you think when you hear the word Salisbury? Steak. Always the steak, right? Mm -hmm. I specifically think of those banquet frozen meals that you can get for like a buck twenty-five mm -hmm. from Walmart. Yeah, they're disgusting. Lived on, uh, pff, huh, I don't know. <laughs> they have a special place in my heart from college, uh, along with ramen, which I still eat on a regular basis. I eat ramen noodles like a cracker. Like I eat them like like a. Like, I've seen people do that. That's what I do. I ne I've never in my entire life. I've eaten ramen noodles a million times. I've never once put them in water and heated them up like what? a normal person. I really haven't. Do you put the psychopathic? That is actually AJ, very you? much so. Do you put the seasoning on it? No. Do you eat your cereal dry too? I don't really eat cereal. Well, that's a problem. No, dude. Cereal's terrible for you. Okay. Yeah, and ramen's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat ramen that often. I'm just saying. I if think I have ramen. Was the quote a million times, AJ? Can you play that back? Okay. I, think a million times. I thought we were recapping to back in the day and we didn't have any money <laughs> and we were in school. So well, that was a lot more frequent than now. I eat normal people food. Uh, I still, I have one of the... Um, I don't know where it's from, but it's just this little plastic thing that you drop the block into. Oh, uh, yeah, and, you yeah. Know, it's made, it's like a ramen cooker uh -huh. type of thing. Um, my brother makes fun of me because I told him that um, <laughs> I brought this ramen home that advertised that it was like 50% less sodium, right? Because that's the big issue is, it's only 2, is the sodium, right? Now. And I was like, and my brother always talked to me about how unhealthy it was. And, and I said, well, look, this is 50% less sodium. So I, I start to make it and I open up the package and it says... Um, Ramen, 50% less sodium, just add half of the seasoning packet. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's genius. Fantastic. But it advertised right there, boom, blue, 50%. It's not wrong. No, it's not wrong. Ramen's, ramen's doing big things. They're on, they're on another level. They are. You ever doctored up with some cheese? No. I never I told you, either. I never even cook it. Okay. Well, some people, you know, they'll put a little slice of American cheese underneath sort of, and uh, heat it nacho. up. nacho. Yeah. I'm going to use take the cracker version of it and just put cheese on that. Sure. Have a nacho form of ramen. It's a thin line between psychopathic and, and culinary arts. And that's the line. And that a little H2O with your ramen. Around. And I'm the line. <laughs> that is the line. I'm basically a chef. Anyways. Anyways. You want to talk about some, some treatments? Topic. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, you have a little too much salt. You probably could add to some. Never mind. I was going to try to transition. but And there's the dog. Barking. If you salt your eye, it's going to be dry. How about that? Um, okay. So we have a couple of options. And for the most part, our options are... Our options are going to be topical things that you either instill in the eye or apply to the eye. Um, so we have artificial tears. Uh, you've probably generally heard that term. It refers to a few different um, branded names that you'll get over the counter or prescription. Um, the Usually these are given up to four times a day. 
uh, and we're going to throw a lot of brand names out and we're going to try to associate them with the generic name but generally you can look at these things and think oh yeah that's artificial tears um so refresh optive or optive um is carboxymethylcellulose that seems to be the one that i'm the most familiar with um genteel moderate to severe is hydroxypropyl methylcellulose blink tears is hyaluronic acid formulations um, and then there's also next step artificial tears. So that would be like Sustain Ultra, Polyethylene Glycol 400, and Soothe, which is a combination of glycerin and what else? Um, propylene Glycol. Propylene Glycol. So and the reason we kind of have them separated out like this, you know, if you look at the, you know, the ophthalmic drop section of any like over uh, or community pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, whatever, um, there's a gazillion eye drops yeah. in that section. So, you know, when it comes to sort of, even if you look at like the up-to-date article or um, Medscape, so they, when they mention, you know, sort of artificial tears, they just kind of throw that out there. They just say artificial tears as if like they're all sort of equal. So there's actually this meta-analysis that basically took as many different trials as they could find that was that were comparative studies. And they took all the different uh, sort of active ingredients of all these different brand names and then did their best to compare and contrast and look at actual efficacy. And so the the few that Cole just mentioned um, when it comes to the original like artificial tiers of the carboxymethylcellulose and those, um, they were basically saying, okay, if you're going to, if you have to pick a starting place, especially if it's more mild, um, you know, symptoms and you don't want to kind of escalate, you know, therapy uh, right away, then these are like true, like artificial tears. Um, usually you can start treating three to four times a day with any of those, like he was saying, refresh, optive, blink tears. Um, and it's, it's a true, like artificial tear. It's the same consistency as a tear. It's very, um, you know, very low viscosity. And from there, if you need something further, if it's not enough to kind of get control of the symptoms, then you can kind of escalate. A lot of times, I think of the, the polyethylene glycol and the glycerin and um, propylene glycol combo as sort of like gel tears, where it's still, you know, a liquid form. If you were to just to see it, it's still, you know, has liquid consistency, but it's a little bit more viscous. It's got a little bit more, um, stick to it, if you will. Um, and so the kind of the issue is one, it can cause more like issues with bl uh, blurred vision and stuff. And especially as we go further into like the gels and ointments we're about to talk about, but it, the reason they kind of came up with this, you know, it's not like it's imperative. Like if you start at the sustain ultra, the uh, the uh, polyethylene glycol 400, Oh, you did it wrong. It just gives you an idea so that you're not just jumping around all over the place. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it kind of gives you a stepwise approach of like, okay, if you've tried this and that's not working, you can escalate by doing this because it's more effective. Yeah. You can also start, you know, further up the algorithm as well. Um, but if you check it, and I can post a link to the, uh, to the article itself, but there's this really nice, um, kind of algorithm that they show that's a, picture of a, an eye and it's got a start at the top and it kind of moves around the eye in a circular form and it starts to escalate you know if refractory symptoms then move here if symptoms still persist you know then move here and it kind of just gives you some sort of you know method to follow so that you're not just picking random agents over the counter and just trying it because it's hard to keep track of like what's working what's not working um if you're doing it that way so it also keeps the patient from wasting money on things if you know you've started with the properly um propylene glycol glycerin 
glycerin and then that's not enough to you know get control of the symptoms going back to like the carboxymethylcellulose is probably not worth your time because it's probably not going to be effective so if you're sitting here going like why are they being so specific about this this is that's what it's there for just to kind of give you some kind of guidance because it hadn't really ever been established no it's good because i think if you just say artificial tears then the poor community pharmacists out there feel like they still don't get any additional guidance i know for me and probably for a lot of people they just end up with whatever their go-to is and they, they say it confidently to the patient and mm-hmm. the patient's like, oh yeah, then that must be, you know, pharmacist told me that's the best thing. But really, you know, it's because maybe we've heard people say it works or we know that it doesn't have extra stuff in there that we don't want it to have. Like it's plain carboxy methyl cellulose without an antihistamine or something. So we're like, yeah, go for that one. That That's probably the best thing to start with. Um, yeah. But I like a stepwise uh, approach with some guidance. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, it also gives actual brand names in the article, which I think is, you know, you don't see that too often. But because there's so many different formulations, I think that's really cool that they kind of yeah. put them together like that. So it's way more about eye drops than you probably ever want to read. But um, I'll it's put a, a super common question. Though. Yeah, it is. Super for sure. Common question. So I'll put the link to that article just so you can check it out because I think you can download it for free. Um, so if you really want to dive into it, you can, at least if nothing else, have that algorithm. Okay, so we talked about artificial tears and then move up to like what we call kind of like those gel tears. Uh, and then from there, if that's still not enough to kind of get control of the symptoms, then we can actually move up to a true like gel formulation or um, what they call a lipid formulation. Um, so about the same you know consistency of a gel. Um, it's still, you know, obviously not quite as occlusive as an ointment, um, but definitely a lot more viscous and, and thick than the, any of the uh, artificial tears that we've already dealt with. So some brand names would be like a Genteel gel. Um, and then for a lipid formulation, we have like the Liposick. Um, and again, it can be more effective as far as like, you know, sort of like soothing the eye, causing, uh, you know, that lubrication in the eye. But it's going to be a lot more irritating to actually apply, mm-hmm. um, potentially blur the vision a little bit. And so um, I, I know I personally would want to try an artificial tear because it's a lot easier to put a drop in than it is gel in your eye. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if, some, if it's not enough with the artificial tear, you can definitely escalate to that. And then the next step from there would be going to the ointment. So as an example, like the Refresh makes one called Lacrolube, and it's, you know, you know, a very thick oint, actual ointment vehicle. It's the, the, you know, the artificial tears is placed in basically. And, uh, it's it can definitely blur your vision for quite a while. I mean, up to 20 minutes in some cases, if you know, it's, and it'd be a little bit irritating. So it might be better for someone that, you know, before they go to bed or something like that. Plus you have to make sure that you spend time kind of explaining that they need to pull the eyelid down and sort of put the ribbon, if this is the way they always explain it in the, you know, the standard directions that get mm-hmm. sent over, but the ribbon along the bottom of the eyelid and then make sure the patient rolls their eye around on that ointment and to kind of spread it out. But definitely not the most comfortable thing, but as far as efficacy, probably the most efficacious when it comes to those over-the-counter uh, artificial tears. There's also a, a loposomal spray, um, which is like uh, tears again is the brand name for that. Um, I don't know that I'd be putting the spray in my eye. <laughs> I've never tried say. it, but we should. I guess we could try it and put it on YouTube. But yeah, I don't want to bash it till I try it. But uh, if I'm in the development room for a dry eye um, vehicle, I'm, I don't think I'm going to go for spraying something directly in your eye. Yeah. It's but, bad enough to have to roll your eye against an ointment, right? Yeah, yeah. Not definitely not a, a big fan of that, but. Again, um, I'll post the the article if you guys want to check it out. And uh, they do talk about, um, you know, in the article as well, considering sort of 
the potential for preservatives um, versus a preservative free. Um, you know, and, and the, the problem with the preservatives, obviously we want to keep the eye from getting, or the eye drop from being contaminated because then we don't want to give, you know, conjunctivitis and bacterial or viral conjunctivitis on top of all this. But the most common preservative that you'll see, especially in the over-the-counter uh, multi-dose vials, uh, is the um, benzyl, uh, or excuse me, benzylconium chloride or BAC, B-A-K. Uh, and then if you use this for long periods of time, because they, they recommend using these for about 60 days to really kind of, in, in multiple times per day, to kind of see if it's going to take effect. It takes a while to kind of clear up this condition. And that time, it can actually cause damage. That that preservative can cause damage to the um, corneal epithelium and actually disrupt the tear film further. So it's kind of like counterintuitive to if you do have someone who has true dry eye disease and not just their eyes are sore from staring at a computer screen, uh, and they're gonna have to use this long term. It may be something that uh, is worth spending a little bit extra money and getting the single dose vials uh, because then you don't have to worry about the preservative. Uh, you don't have to worry about that kind of rebound um, irritation and dryness or disruption of the tear film. Um, some of the newer agents do have some uh, you know, the different preservatives in them. However, it's still basically the same concept. Over time, um, it can cause damage and uh, you know, it lead to worsening outcomes overall. And so, uh, again, if you have a patient who's got true dry eye disease, it may be a good idea to um, recommend the single dose vials that they can they can use and throw away, and that way they get a fresh one each time. No one's worried about the preservative. Yeah, it's one of the rare times I'll say use the more expensive one. It's probably probably worth it. And even generally, we're not you know super concerned with preservatives and other things mm -hmm. with medicine, but um, with this, it turns out it matters. And if you're ever wondering, does this have a preservative? Does it not? Like if a patient's asking, single dose vials, no preservative because they're single dose and they're intended to just be used once, thrown away. Multi-dose vial is going to have a preservative because it can be opened and be good for a long period of time. Um, which kind of brings us to some other options as well um, that are prescription. So one is Restasis, uh, which we've all heard of and is used for uh, a number of um, uh, eye situations, but it's a cyclosporin eye drop. Um, studies have shown benefit in patients who suffer from uh, different degrees of dry eye. Um, not all patients will see benefit from it. It can take up to six weeks or longer to be effective, so it takes a little while. Um, side effect wise, a burning sensation of the eye, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty well tolerated. Um, there's not really a concern for systemic toxicity. Um, they, serum concentrations of cyclosporin have been undetectable or negligible with topical use. Um, so there's not really a concern for systemic toxicity, but I guess a couple years ago they came out with the multi-dose file. So in general, or before that, it was just the single dose, um, uh, I don't even know what you call those little things. Just it's like a, a plastic ampule almost, yeah. right? They call them vials, but vials. Yeah, they look more like a plastic. Yeah, they're not like, quite Yeah, not quite a vial, but like a plastic little amp ampule that you twist off, and you'd get them in the big boxes of however many of them, 60 or something like that. Yep. Um, but now they have the smaller multi-dose vial, which is a little more expensive, but uh, and does, of course, would have a preservative in it, um, but it's available too. And I, I, you know, if you look kind of, so the way I think about this is if I have a patient with, you know, chronic dry eyes, I haven't tried anything yet. Okay. Let's try the, the topical ophthalmic drops, the artificial tears, and then kind of escalate through that algorithm that we have. If that's not enough and we have to go systemic, the, the restasis like Cole just mentioned and the next two drugs we're going to mention, I, I kind of think of those as being like, okay, let's kind of 
you know, pick based on patient specific parameters of, of how, you know, between those three, because it's hard to tell which one of those is truly more effective um, because there's no head to head studies. And if you look at the, you know, placebo uh, or comparative studies, it, it it's kind of hit or miss as far as the efficacy. So I will say because cyclosporine obviously is helping with um, the inflammatory concept, um, you know, concept of the of the potential patho going on um this if a patient does have like sjogren's syndrome or something like that where there is this inflammatory component to it that is an autoimmune you may get a little bit more of a, a benefit out of those patients with restasis versus someone who doesn't have any sort of like inflammation going on it may just be um, that excessive evaporation of the ocular surface tension so yeah. um just food for thought on that um, keep that in mind. You know, if you're looking for those, some of those rheumatoid labs start showing up and there is some signs of inflammation, that may be, you're definitely uh, worth the, the trial of restasis, right? Um, we also have Zydra, um, which again is, is a separate class of medication, but when you look at the studies, it's versus placebo. They don't have head-to-head studies like with restasis. Um, you know, the improvement was seen compared to placebo when it comes to the signs and symptoms of drives, when it comes to mild to moderate, as well as moderate to severe. Um, they've they both kind of symptoms have been, uh, you know, severities have been studied against placebo and you do see improvement. Um, that being said, again, it's, it's not like every single person who starts it is going to see that improvement. So it is, um, potentially hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it can still cause some eye irritation with the topical use of it. Um, and you know, the one thing to keep in mind with this in particular is about 25% or more of patients, um, complain about tasting, um, a very like metallic bad taste in their mouth after application. So you will actually get some of it that drains into your almost like, I guess your sinuses and down in your throat and you can actually taste it. Um, I haven't personally tasted it, but I've heard it's pretty disgusting. So that, uh, you know, is one of those things, it sounds stupid, but I, I can say from uh, someone who only had to take Plexovid for uh, a few days, that that taste, that metallic taste that lasts all day is definitely disgusting. Yeah. So um, like sucking it, on a penny. Ugh, it's gross. And so this having to do that for a long period of time, I mean, you're thinking four to six weeks before you're going to see improvement. That's a long time to be tasting nasty metal in your mouth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just keep that in mind. The cost is also an issue. Um, you know, thinking somewhere in the ballpark of around ten dollars per dose, potentially, uh, maybe a little bit less now, but that's still pretty pricey. So, mm-hmm. one, the patient's going to have insurance, uh, and and also making sure that this is covered. You know, the prior authorization is probably going to recommend or probably require that they've tried all these different artificial tiers first. Restasis, probably. Yeah, and so it's something that uh, you have to keep that in mind. And again, be realistic with the patient's kind of expectations when it comes to how quickly their symptoms should resolve and if it's even going to resolve. Right. Yeah. You'll see a lot of commercials for that one. Yeah. At least I do. Okay. So that brings us to the new kid on the block. You waited all this time and now we're going to give it to you. All this time. Um, So the brand name of it is Tervaya, which I can only imagine is a lookalike sound alike with Trimphaya. I mean, (laughs) my goodness, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's Vereniclin, which we've, we're all familiar with that. If it's uh, ringing a bell, it's Chantix. Um, this is a nasal spray. It was uh, Nasal spray for your eyes. So not only is it Chantix, it's not only is it Vereniclin, but it's a nasal spray that's going to 
help your eyes, which obviously, you know, is possible because we kind of do the opposite with our glucocorticoid nasal sprays to kind of dry the eyes up a little bit in a different situation. Um, so um, relatively new, approved in October 2021. Uh, how it works, so it's a partial agonist to several subtypes of alpha and beta receptors. It's also a full um, nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonist, right? So that's how it has some of its... Um, effect with um, helping people stop smoking cigarettes. Um, it's a cholinergic agonist. So it activates the trigeminal parasympathetic pathway, resulting in increased production of basal tear film, which is how it's going to help with this. Um, as far as its studies, there was a significant increase in tear production after four weeks of twice daily dosing, and it's relatively well tolerated cough, sneezing, throat irritation. So I, don't, I can only imagine that um, it just doesn't have the same systemic maybe, I don't know, side effects, concerns, the Chantix does with the dreams and whatnot, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to look and see how much, I don't think there'd be much I wouldn't systemic. Think so. I, wouldn't now, think so. I will say too, like, it's weird because we always think of anticholinergic. That's yeah. the term we always throw around. But in this case, you're actually trying to do the opposite, which is something we don't really talk about all that often, I feel like. Yep. Um, and so when you think about the adverse effects, it completely makes sense, right? Because anytime we think of anticholinergic, we're thinking of every, all the secretions drying up and sort of the blurred vision comes from and dry mouth and all that. But in this case, you want to have that um, tear production. And so you actually want to have cholinergic activity, which is then going to cause those secretions to be released. So the cough, the sneezing, throat irritation, a lot of that's going to just be because the sinuses are draining and you're getting like post nasal drip and you know some irritation and just like you would if you had just random random like allergic uh rhinitis causing post nasal drip or something like that so you know side effect wise not anything too crazy and um you know like i said it's Cole said it, it's it's fairly new. So as far as its place in therapy, even even the up to date article um, is very limited as far as what it actually explains about this. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see as time goes on how to, this is kind of recommended uh, as far as like its place in therapy. Um, it, it, I think it's just a matter of more time and seeing how people respond to it. I did look up the price last night and it was around seven eight hundred dollars AWP. Some it's definitely not cheap and no. uh, something that. Um, I'm I'm curious myself to see how people respond to it. I haven't seen anybody on this yet, but you know what I'm curious about. What are you curious about? Is there a way to make it work for smoking? I imagine not, right? You have to drink the nasal spray. I have to drink it, though. Um, don't, you know, do th don't do that. But I'm what if they, you know, obviously they're not going to get it to the brain through the nose. But what if they just sprayed it really hard? Maybe. Just Maybe really you're onto something. Really, just shot it up there, straight up there, really hard. Yeah. We might, we might could get some some benefit with some smoke. If any of you guys are on on this drug and you're and you're a big smoker, let us know. <laughs> if you yeah, decide if this, to spray if this it. fix if this fixed your smoking habit, I, I'd I'd like to know. Yeah, I, I'd be. I'm definitely uh, curious to see if there's going to be any kind of systemic absorption that's reported. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the other thing is to uh, making sure that when it comes to the actual administration, just like any other intranasal spray, it is important to kind of take a look at the uh, administration directions because it's not always as straightforward as you think. Um, so, for example, in this one, um, it, it does actually say, so just in case you guys didn't realize that was me joking when I said spray in your mouth, it actually says in here, do not spray in your mouth. So <laughs> apparently it's not good for you. Um, but nostrils only, people. And uh, it says do not shake the bottle so it's not a suspension or something like that. Um, and it, you actually have to prime it. Um, so you have to press seven times into the air um, away from the face prior to the first use. 
and if it's sprayed, uh, if it's if the spray is left unused for more than five days, reprime with one spray into the air. Um, you want to tell the patient to blow the nose if needed to kind of clear the nostrils. Tilt the head back slightly without laying down. You don't want to be over dramatic about it. Um, and then tilt the head back slightly, uh, like I said, and then insert the applicator into the nostril, um, pointing the tip towards the top of the ear, um, leaving space between the tip of the applicator and the wall of the nose. And then place, listen how specific this is, place the tongue on the roof of the mouth and breathe gently while pressing the pump to release the spray. This is already way too complicated. I would mess this up immediately. Um, and then it says, do not spray directly at the septum um, and wide, uh, wipe applicator with clean tissue, a clean tissue, do not reuse your nasty tissues. Um, after each use, a one-month supply consists of two bottles. Finish the first bottle before opening the second. Don't get overzealous and open the second bottle. You got time. <laughs> just really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to know how many people just stuck their tongue on the roof of their mouth and then inhaled through their nose a little bit. I will say that it makes it a lot easier to only inhale through your nose and not your mouth. That's a great idea. Yeah. Like if I'm, next time I'm doing Flonase, tongue on the roof of the mouth. So get this. Vernaclin is absorbed somewhat systemically because they during the pregnancy considerations. Right. Um, it is uh, absorbed systemically following nasal administration. So concentrations are approximately 7.5% of an oral 1 milligram dose. So very small amounts. Very small. I doubt that you're going to see much smoking cessation effects with that, <laughs> that low of a dose. But you never know. <laughs> you never maybe know. if you're only like a one or two cigarette kind of guy. Then maybe. Maybe. You might not need enough. <laughs> I think to that point, if you use it kind of like I use an albuterol inhaler and just how many ever pumps you need to, to get the effect, I use about maybe seven or eight pumps you know, no, four, four, to five, four to six times a day. You'll get there. It's great recommendation okay. to give everybody. Yeah. Thank you for from the executive producer. No, Nobody will take that advice. That is complete nonsense. And stop using albuterol anyway. That's preposterous. Use also, if you have asthma. For y'all in the South who get a... Um, y'all. Oh, wow. <laughs> For you all in the South, uh, use guys in the South who get a uh, like a pro air inhaler brought to you uh, and saying that the it's not working anymore. Um, take it out, take the cartridge out, rinse it through some warm water, squeeze it. It'll work. Hand it back to the patient. Yep, prevents you from having to do it. Also, if you're interested in looking, um, if this really piqued your interest, this um, varenicline nasal spray, uh, it was investigated and approved through the Onset One. Onset 2 and Mystic Trials. So feel free to read Mystic more about trials. it. Mystic They made it sound pretty cool. That does sound cool. And then you're like, wah, wah. Just burn a clean nasal spray. <laughs> so there you go. That's the new kid on the block. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it how it plays out. See if it gives her stasis and all that and run for its money. Be I, surprised, but... My guess is no. <laughs> maybe. I mean, you know, people who are refractory and have tried yeah, the others, then I, sure. They got exactly. another option now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the good thing, is at yeah. least we have another option we can try if it's not working. And, uh, you know, you can always still combo up with some of the artificial tears on top of these more... Um, this At least this is not uh, using the, the same yeah. route of administration. Now you got nasal and eye. You can come at it from two different angles to get to the same result. Yeah. Maybe. Hopefully. AJ, anything else we, we miss? It's a short, short and sweet episode today. For a refresh optive, the sponsorship can email mcorvino <laughs> at outlook.com. Yep. Yeah, for any of you eyedrops that want us to push your product, as long as you're on this list that we have on this algorithm, otherwise we're not taking your money. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 
Speaking of sponsors, big thanks to Pearls. Um, if you haven't checked out the app yet, um, you know they were our first and uh, you know major sponsor, and, and they've continued to support us. So check out www.pearls.com/slash/core/consult-rx. It's free to sign up for uh, you know the initial kind of um, you know the. the enough of the application to get some solid use out of it and then from there you can decide if you want the the pro edition if you will but you'll get some cool uh charts and some really good pharmacotherapy um algorithms and whatnot that you can utilize uh even with the free version um, if you go through our link i'll put that in the show notes too so big thanks to them and uh if you want more like lecture style content definitely check out patreon um so patreon.com slash core consult rx and we have powerpoint slides and actual like lecture lectures on there instead of us you know getting sidetracked every five seconds if you have any questions for cole myself or aj um emails will be in the show notes aj did you i'm starting to get emails with your name in it now like addressing all three of us i love it good yeah that's appropriate so i'm I'm happy for that so thanks guys for uh including aj i'm glad he's our executive producer don't forget it and um if you want to send us a text directly 415-943-6116 and, uh, you know, we're always open to suggestions or um, things we can do to make the show better. Um, or if you have a you want to be a guest or have some cool ideas for content, definitely let us know. And we'll do our best to uh, make it happen. Thanks for the support. As always, we'll see you guys in the next one. Have a good night.